Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to Your Family Dog podcast, and I'm so excited to introduce to you my friend, Karen Deeds, who's going to speak to us today um, from the beautiful state of Texas about enrichment with our dogs. Um, And of course, my co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith, is here, and I'm Tina Spring, and we wanted to welcome you back. So I met Karen a few years ago at a family dog conference, and she was equal parts smart, pretty, and hysterically funny. Um, And I learned things, which is always magic, right, To to have someone that has ideas outside of what I have to help me bless my customers. And also honestly to lean on when I have questions or maybe a a case that's a little bit outside my typical scope. So um, I'm just crazy excited to share her with all of you. Well, that's just great. And uh, I'm so excited to, to meet Karen myself for the first time. And so, Karen, I guess my question for you is, is we talk a lot about enrichment, but it suddenly occurred to me that we never actually defined what enrichment is. So I was hoping maybe you could give us a definition of enrichment and and why is it so important to dogs? Wow, that's a really great question. And one I've probably never been asked is the definition of enrichment. But I think it's just something that, I mean, you use break down the word enrichment and you have enriching the dog's life. And when we look at a dog that used to spend a great deal of time foraging for its food and exploring their environment, making sure that they're safe, we've kind of taken all of that away when we lock them in the house and uh, they get to go out to potty a couple of times a day and we leash walk them up and down the sidewalk and we've kind of taken some of that stuff away from them. So I think it's really important that we get that back. Okay, I think that's a great definition. So it's important because what happens if a dog has a more limited life? What happens to, um, so I think most people think, well, if I take my dog for a walk and I let him sniff, isn't that enrichment? And it, it, and it is, but why do we need additional enrichment other than the fact that, that historically they have it? Um, most dogs are not bred for their historical purposes. So Why is it that we continue to want to enrich them? Why does it make a difference in their lives? And how would it make a difference in our lives? Well, I think a lot of it depends on the dog. I mean, you know, it's always observe and respond. What does your dog look like that's standing in front of you? And is a sniff walk enough for your dog? I know plenty of dogs that it is. Um, You know, take them on that sidewalk, but don't make them walk beside you in heel position. Let them go sniff, roll in bunny poo, Um, you know, mark the, uh, every, every mailbox that they walk by. Um, That is, I mean, that's fun for some dogs. And for some dogs, that's quite adequate. Other dogs might need more than that. Um, And sometimes it's not just because of their genetics and their instinct, but it's because they're, they're dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and anxiety can really be, kind of compromised and, um, gosh, what am I looking for? Um, countered by enrichment. 
letting the dog sniff and look around and kind of realize that life isn't going to uh, kill them. You know, they can do those things. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, I feel so safe. It feels good. Right. Right. Well, I loved what you said that for some dogs, it is that the sniffing is enough. Reminds me of uh, Dr. Zazie Todd was on and she, we did a podcast with her called Making Happy Dogs Happier. And she said, if you can't do anything else, take your dog on a sniffari is what she called it, which I thought. I love that. Yeah, I thought that was a wonderful term. Take your dog on a sniffari. So if you think of it that way, rather than as a walk, we're out to to smell the world. This is your sniffari. I think you're going to be a lot more willing to give the dog what it needs as far as the, the time to sniff and to take a look at stuff. And if you think of it as a, as a sniffari and not as an exercise walk, then you are right. making it more enriching. But you don't even need to take your dog off property to do that. I mean, I work with a lot of dogs that are leash reactive and they can't go out on the street because they're going to bark and lunge at cars or people are walking by or other dogs. You can set up your own little sniffari in your own backyard or heck, your living room. Right. There are so many things that you can do. Uh, Parmesan cheese is my go-to for sniffing in the grass. In, in oh. your own backyard, your dog probably already knows every blade of grass that's back there but by gosh you put take a little sprinkle of parmesan cheese you know on in every corner and you know eight different spots throughout the yard and all of a sudden their yard is magical it's like oh my gosh where did this cheese get here Whoo! i have to go sniff it so it doesn't have to be you know a walk you can do it in your own backyard with easy things so, I love that safe. Parmesan cheese thing. That is great. I would never have thought of that. You're right, Tina. She's a she's a gem. This is great. I know. I love her. She's awesome. I I can tell you when I had uh, an elderly dog who wasn't um, he was painful enough that like rides in the cars to go for hikes up in the mountains or whatever were uncomfortable. One of the things we did was we would bring debris back from places we went to hike and then plant that stuff in the yard, like leave a little pile of it over here and a little pile of it over there. Um, and I found that that enrichment worked really well. It was a really good way to bring this part of his life that he always really enjoyed back to our yard. Um, and there's probably people who would tell me from a disease standpoint, that's a terrible idea, but it made my terrier happy, and that made me happy. Good I think point. that's brilliant. In fact, I encourage that even in, in shelter environments is some of these dogs have never smelled people's clothing. So bring them, you know, some articles of clothing. Uh, maybe you need to put it in a PVC pipe that has little holes in it so that they don't ingest it. But things like that, pine cones. Oh, my gosh. I was in Ohio um, a couple of summers ago and brought back some pine cones. Actually, my dog was up there with me, and he thought pine cones were the best thing. We don't have pine cones in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, anyway, where I live. And Christmas so present. he thought those were just the best thing ever. <laughs> and so I brought back like, a pile of pine cones. Oh, so fun for him. Well, tell you what, I live in Ohio, and my backyard is, <laughs> I have a fair amount of pine cones. So you just tell me how many you need, and I will send right. you a wad, uh, I mean, a, a, a crap ton, as we would say, of pine cones. So, I'd be happy to do that. So we could, we could totally put that out to the listeners. Like if you have pine cones, 
We'll see if we can get a mailing address for Karen. Everybody can. Oh, no, 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 no. We're good. We're good. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what we could do is we could start a pine cone exchange group. So I could oh, send pine cones to Tina. Sure. She could get Ohio pine cones. She can send me Georgia pine cones. And then we could have people from all around the country exchanging pine cones for their dogs. And you know what? And I, that scent propagation like that or scent swapping, in fact, that's the first step to me of introducing another a new dog in the home or a new dog to a family is they need to get used to each other's smells first. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially bringing a baby home, something like that. What's the first thing you want to do is to actually let the dog smell that smell before they see the baby. Because for some dogs, not all dogs, but for some dogs, that sense of smell is so strong that some of these things can actually be quite aversive. Right. Right. I, I try to explain to, especially, you know, a big population that I work with are feral dogs who are just everything is a dragon. And I talk a lot about like articles of clothing, like how to break apart exposures to novel or scary stimuli. So the sounds of children, the smells of children, watching children from a distance, um, the movement, how to break all that apart. And scent is a big, huge part of it. And so Karen, I actually, cause you know a lot more about scent than I do. Can someone, for example, like, you know, old crone me who doesn't have little, my grandkids live, you know, 150,000 miles away. Can I go to like the local donation center and buy used children clothing? Is that going to have enough scent on it to be, to do exposures or do I need to like hook up with somebody to go here, have your kids sleep in this t-shirt and then give it to me. It probably just depends on, was it laundered at the thrift store store? I don't know. Um, But even that it's going to carry its own scent. I mean, the scent of some laundry products sends some dogs into the ozone layer. It's like, Oh my God, I have never smelled that. And that is different. Um, you know, I worked with a service dog one time that we actually had to career change it because it couldn't walk pa- walk past the leather shop in the mall. And the woman worked in the mall and her dog, every time it walked by the candy store, would go, whoa, she could not stand the smell of leather. So we career changed that dog. Um, so sometimes you just kind of have to, again, my mantra is observe and respond. Um, but I would think if you're going to be bringing home a specific child or you have a specific grandchild that's coming over for the first time, maybe they mail you some of their clothes. That's what I was thinking. And they get used to that specific, that specific scent. So that's something that we could do. And will, will it help? No, I might help with some. It might be just a, you know, a puff in the wind. I don't know. Don't know. The um, that's really it had been my thought too. If you need to condition your dog to a specific child, you probably need a specific scent. But uh, yeah. kind of going a little bit back to the sniffari kind of thing. This was this is sort right. of a this is sort of a and accustom your dog to new things through sniffaris. But if you're going back to right. enrichment sniffaris, one of the things that um, Eileen Anderson came on when she talked about canine cognitive dis- dysfunction was you can bring this if you were talking bring the sniffari to the dog. One of the things that she does 
when she's got a dog who is starting to fail, is she just takes the grocery bags in and lets them sit on the floor and just lets the dog sniff the grocery bags. Because that's, oh, you know, yeah. bringing some sense to him. She, she'll take him out on leash and let him sniff, the, take, her, take him around the car and let him sniff the tires. That's a big one for one of her dogs. Oh, at, at my house it would be because right now, because we're doing some construction, my car is kind of parked in my dog yard. And guess what my tires smell like? I bet it is just a plethora of multiple dogs leaving. Yeah, there are little messages. So it can be super easy to give your dog um, some nose work. And even if your dog is feeble, you're right, either bring stuff into your yard or even as simple as things as let them sniff the groceries when you bring them inside. That could be just a a really wonderful thing, especially for an elderly dog. I found that most of the, the, the articles that you have around your house can be some of the funnest for the dogs. I mean, they tend to be for children, right? You, you buy your mm-hmm. child this $50 toy, and then they play with cotton balls, right? That was my sister. Uh, she loved <laughs> cotton balls. She loved to pull them apart. Okay, so I use a lot of really simple things. Toilet paper rolls, paper mm-hmm. towel rolls. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you stuff, uh, you stuff an article of clothing in that, and they smell it. Or, gosh, Put some food in there. How do they eat? You know, most of my behavior clients, I tell them ditch the bowl and feed mm-hmm. your dog somewhere else. Just fig- their dog, your dog should not be eating out of a bowl again. It should be either working for its food during training, during some sort of conditioning exercises, or in enrichment type stuff. Toilet paper rolls, paper towel rolls, egg cartons. Oh my gosh, I have never seen dogs have so much fun than with a f- silly little cardboard egg carton. Mm-hmm. simple stuff empty, right. of course I might add yes <laughs> all of them are empty well, however I unless of course you're putting food in really them in- yes exactly empty with the food inside uh, but I have seen dogs that really relish tearing something apart I worked with a, a client one time she took a dog in who was 10 years old from a hoarding case he had lived in a barn for 10 years had absolutely very, very minimal human interaction. And she took in this dog. Spike was 15. I worked with her from the time she got him. And when he was 15, I got a message from her. I'm going to cry because it was so special. He stole something off the counter and shredded it. And we rejoiced. Because that's what dogs like to do she emailed me and she says oh my god you're not going to believe what spikey did he actually jumped on the counter which i mean it took him three years to come into the kitchen so getting on the counter was like wow really hard for him so he Mm -hmm. jumped on the counter and he pulled something off and he shredded it (gasps) we were so happy oh that dog was actually acting like a normal dog probably for the first time in his life that was cool. That is really cool. However, I think most of our clients would go, hmm, since that happens on about five times a day. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, and that's a really great segue right there, Julie. So let's give them something appropriate that's for right. them. Turns out they're providing excellent enrichment already. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you're giving them good enrichment already, they, the need for them to look for it elsewhere is minimized. Right. So, so I do think of it in terms of like attention, right? Like if you think about our interactions with our kids, 
I think we all have introverts less, extroverts more, like a bucket of attention that we need every day. And our kids, our partners are going to fill that bucket up one way or another. Either we're going to bless them with that enrichment, that that attention. We're going to be excited when they come home and hear about their day and interact with them, or they're going to steal it. Right, They're going <laughs> to pick an argument, negative attention seek, right? All the same things we see with our dogs. So for me, when I'm explaining enrichment, that's how I try to explain it. Like your dog needs a certain amount of stimulation every day. They'll either steal it or you can plan for it. That's right. Yeah. And that's beautiful. They they have to eat, right? And I hear, I hear it all the time. Well, my dog's not very food motivated. And I go, he's alive. Got to be eating something somewhere. So let's just make him work for it. And I work with a lot of dogs that the thought of putting their head into a cardboard box is devastating. They're like, oh, my God, I'm going to get trapped. I can't do that. <laughs> We're all oh, going to die. So, all going to die. <laughs> Put their bowl, they're used to eating out of, into a cardboard box lid, like a shoebox lid that's really, really, really low, and get them using doing that. And then maybe we start uh, putting the, the food in the box itself and then maybe we transfer to a bigger box with higher sides and eventually I would like to get to the point that that dog sees that cardboard box and literally is going I know how to get in there and you close all the flaps at this point right now we've got the food inside and the dog is going to actually flip open those flaps and some dogs are even going to shred the box I know that sounds horrible but for a lot of these dogs that need something to shred it's a lot better for them to shred a box than it is your brassiere. Like I have that whole story, but we won't go there. Um, so, uh, maybe yeah, or a diaper. You know, that's that, that, is, is, a, right. that yeah. is a lot of material in Karen's case, if you get my meaning. Oh, come on, girls. Just saying. Um, and uh, and actually, that dog ended up becoming a narcotics dog. So there. Um, anyway, so cardboard boxes are probably some of my favorite tools for people to use. Not only can you get them pulling apart the cardboard box and, and doing that, but then you can use multiple cardboard boxes. Let's say you have 15 of them and they all look similar because they're cardboard boxes and you put a handful of food in one and you let your dog go find the food in one out of 15 cardboard boxes. And then you take them to a different room and you put another handful of food in the same box, but you change the position of the box. Now the dog goes, Oh, it was over there in that corner. And no, it's not there. Oh, wow. Maybe. Oh, I, I think I smell it. And the dog runs over and starts searching at all the boxes until it identifies the box with the, with the scent in it, which is the food. And when we are using the dog's scent, uh, the sense of smell, we are actually engaging the seeking system in the brain. Jacques Panxap. Uh, read him if you don't know him. Um, and he talks about the seeking system. And that to me is 
That's why nose work, the sport, is so fabulous and so good for dogs now is because they're actually teaching the dogs to utilize the seeking system, which is kind of opposite the whole, oh, I'm afraid system. And um, so they're doing, they're looking for things and they're not worried about things because that's their job is to look for things. And right now with my behavior cases, I don't really teach them a specific odor to look for, even though that is certainly something we can do. But I just teach them hunt for your food, whether it's in a bowl in the living room that's tucked underneath the coffee table, or it's 15 bowls in your living room in 15 different places that your dog has to go from bowl to bowl to bowl to bowl to bowl, or then it's in the backyard. Uh, Again, cardboard boxes, bowls, Dixie cups. I don't care what you put your food in. Um, It's just getting the dogs out there to hunt and to engage that seeking system. And to me, that's the difference between um, food dispensing toys, which I love, but I really like that foraging, whether um, whether it's actually the dog's hunting for food in a, in a receptacle, a box or a bowl, or just take their food if you're feeding kibble and throw it in the grass like you are feeding a bunch of chickens and let them go hunt for that. They can spend days out there. Well, not really. Okay, they can spend minutes out there looking for breakfast instead of eating it in 30 seconds. It's now taking them 30 minutes to eat breakfast. Wow, that's 30 minutes out of the day out of 24 hours that you don't have to entertain your dog (laughs) wow you have an hour to an hour and a half of dude go do this while i change the baby's diaper right Right. so instead of so instead of hide and go seek it's smell and go seek absolutely and really when you're working with it actually becomes smell and go seek yes right well, those are all great. And the those are thing easy is- things to do. I mean, the, the thing yes. that, that um, what, what I try to avoid, and I think Tina does too, is, is to insist that you have to buy all this special equipment, all these special toys for enrichment. And that's not, necess- that's not true. You can do an awful lot of enrichment just with, with everyday things, as you said, and just delivery systems in a unique way. I mean, one of the things that I've talked about before, because I am innately a lazy trainer is what this boils down to, is I, I'll do a kibble hunt where I, when I had a, a burner and a golden and a flat coat, I would just take their dinners, their cumulative dinners of about four or five cups of food and just throw it all over the patio and the backyard. And you just have to have at it, you know? Go have it. And it would and you're right, it takes a long time for them to find every single piece of kibble, but every single piece of kibble must be found. That's the other thing. Well, especially if you have a competition. Now, granted, obviously you have to watch if you have that dog that's a resource garter and, and luckily, they're going I did to keep not. all the other that, dogs from doing that. That yes, is a caveat. That, was, that is always the caveat. Uh, you can't do it with resource girders. Yes. Um, but uh, that is one thing. I love the foraging in the grass. And people are like, really? I've never heard of that. And I said, just try it. And I can't even tell you the people who've actually solved their fence fighting issues by throwing their really? dogs in the grass. Yes. I mean, you know, I'm a lazy trainer, too. Uh, most of my clients don't have time to train their dogs a lot. So I look for a lot of management ways and sometimes management alone will actually do a huge amount of behavior modification, just preventing them from practicing the behaviors we don't want. Absolutely. Throwing How many times have we said that? Yard. 
we, yes. right. We say it like every episode, like yes. feeding the chicken option of tossing kibble out in the yard totally will stop your dog from barking at the neighbor's dogs. Yep. Right. Or, It'll total or the deer or the kids right. or whatever. And, right. and, and it gives moms and dads, like, I don't know. It's like growing another arm. That's how I think about it. It's like growing another arm. And and if kibble's not a good enough reason, then I don't care. Shred up some chicken. Parmesan cheese. Or parm. Right? Like, it's not going to be, it's not, or or stuff a Kong with really yummy stuff and throw throw the Kong out there. Add another layer. Yeah. My next thing is, you know, we can use food dispensing toys. Again, there are so many out there. I'm not a huge puzzle person you know those little uh, food dispensing puzzles that the dog moves the block this way and then that way and that way they do that once they're done you know bam 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 thank you ma'am we're done they figured out really fast and you know after about three repetitions the dogs are going oh i know how to work this puzzle and it takes me 2.9 seconds to get all the food out of it right the first time it may have been i don't know 30 seconds or three minutes or 30 minutes whatever but once they learn the puzzle yeah you're pretty much done take it to goodwill get a new one Um, but I also recommend, especially for busy families is have a food prep night, especially if you have children in the house, what a great way for your, the children that can to interact with their dog indirectly. So tonight's food stuffing night or Kong stuffing night, and we're going to make seven Kongs and you're going to put kibble with a little bit of yogurt and then we're going to freeze that. And you make a different concoctions in your stuffed Kongs every Sunday night, you make seven. So you have a week's worth of, oh, wow, I really need to put the baby to sleep or read a nursery to somebody and here dogs suck on that for 30 minutes while I do this. That's great stuff. It is. There, there, we, um, Colleen and I did fairly early on an episode about simple games for kids and dogs. And one of the things that I use a lot with clients, especially that um, for ones who have small children, where it's it's not necessarily a good idea for little hands to be near doggy mouths, is I will give them a, a small plastic bowl with Cheerios in it. And the dogs are restrained by the by the by the um, by the parent. They're either on a leash or they're tethered or they're in their crate or something. And the child can make a Hansel and Gretel trail of Cheerios through the house, right? And then they sit down and then they let the dog go and get the Hansel and Gretel trail. And Absolutely. so it's a great way for a kid to feel like I'm playing with my dog, but I'm not putting little people who can be inappropriate in how they interact with the dog just simply because they're little people. Right. It's not because they're being mean. It's just they're they're little so they can play a game with the dog without getting their hands anywhere near the dog. The other one that I like to do and I did with my um, grandson, Edward, is with with Zuzu can get very excited with a ball. So what I would do is I'd have uh, two balls and I would give and Zuzu was on a leash. We were playing this inside, but you can do this outside. And um, and Edward couldn't throw very far. So he would throw the ball and then I would let Zuzu go and get it and call her back to me. And I would hand have her drop the ball and I would hand Edward a ball. He would throw the next one and I would let Zuzu go. She'd get the ball, bring it back to me. In the interim, I've given Edward another ball so that his mouth or his hand is never near her mouth. But he's the one who's actually throwing the ball for her. Now, that does require that there be an adult there to help supervise. 
but Edward was only three at the time, and I would never have left him unsupervised anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so, yep. um, if, so it was a game game. So what, what I try to tell people is think of ways in which your, your child can entertain the dog without actually perhaps interacting directly with the dog. The dog knows who's laying the Hans on Gretel trail. The dog knows who's throwing the ball. But we don't necessarily have to have a direct interaction, especially between hands and heads of hands of little people and heads of big dogs are not necessarily a good combo. That Hansel and Gretel thing, I use that a lot with kids. Mm -hmm. And um, and I prelay that trail and I get the dog used to kind of following looking for a trail. And then I interject the child kind of walking beside the dog so now we have an association dog can walk beside child without mouthing it without jumping on it and all of a sudden we have a dog that's walking beside the kid and if you really want to put a leash on the dog at that point in time the child is now walking the dog even though they're just hunting for cheerios um and so that can be such an accomplishment oh my gosh let's teach the child how to walk the dog hunt for cheerios and right. and so the dog feels good because he's making an association. Oh, my gosh, I eat Cheerios beside the kid. All is great. The kid is going, oh, look what I can do. I can walk the doggy. And wow, that is so powerful for both dog and child. It's awesome. And I, I actually use some of this stuff even with really relatively young toddlers, right, yes. who are not necessarily able to use the same cues we're utilizing. So lots of the moms and dads I work with, we teach a settlement exercise so that they can get the dog to move. As soon as we start to see the child giving instructions to the dog that are usually honestly frustration based, they want the dog to leave them alone um, or get out of their way or, or they're mad at mom because she won't give him the red balloon he's holding. Um, but like the utterances or the signals that the child is naturally using because they're not yet ready to say settle um, and teaching the dog. I, I really like that when we're working with toddlers and really young kids. And I find most moms and dads don't necessarily realize that their dog is flexible enough to learn that all done right? Like the, the little mini temper tantrum of frustration can totally cue a dog to go lay on their bed. Um, and that the baby will have a great time helping to teach that. Um, it, I find it actually tends to lighten the amount of frustration the child's feeling because they have a little bit more control over their world and it becomes a little bit of a game instead of a point, another point of frustration at a developmental time when it's really easy to frustrate it, kiddos. Everybody wants to feel empowered. To, yeah, it goes back to what do you want them to do instead? Oh, right. Mantra well, one of the other things when you were talking about putting a leash on the dog and having the child walk the dog inside, what I oftentimes recommend to families is that you go to Walmart and each one of the children, say you have three kids, each one gets to pick out an inexpensive leash, nylon leash, that's their color, yes. their leash. And so then what you can do is if you're doing this inside, you put that child's colored leash on the dog. So then when they want to help walk the dog outside, what I do is, okay, everybody has a chance to walk the dog. Okay, so um, Ralph, it's your turn. Go get your leash. The dog is always double leashed. So I, the, 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 the parent has the real control leash and the child has the ancillary leash. But if you have designated that each color 
for each kid, then it's really clear who gets to walk the dog. And when you're outside, I don't want the child to have complete control over the leash, but we've already practiced with the leash inside. So I I kind of like the combination of those two things because then the child knows this is my leash. I'm walking the dog. And um, when I'm working like with my granddaughter, Gracie, I usually tell her, oh, you get to use the pretty leash. Grandma's got to use the ugly one. So lucky you. <laughs> and, and, and that you usually satisfies it. Yes. So that usually satisfies her. You know, it's like, oh, I get the and I, leash. And I've actually found that kids even, so sometimes when kids are a little bit older, they're starting to get grouchy about the fact that, like, why do you have a leash too? Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a big kid. I could do it by myself. I've found that um, waist leash, whether it's, you run a belt through the handle of your leash and just put it around your waist or an actual waist leash that attaches to your waist and is designed for that job works really great because now you're not as the adult necessarily controlling the dog, but you do have that one, you know, it's like a rock climber safety rope that the dog, if everything goes wrong, you know, we don't have a dog getting hit by a car or knocking or pulling a child down. So and I have found that that waist leash application allows um, for kind of a good in-between that kids are a little less offended by that we've got their back. I like that and idea. What we've I didn't use that. Yeah. And what we've been talking about is training. But training is pretty enriching to the dog, right? Again, yes. you're doing some mental stimulation. So we're killing two birds with one stone here. Um, you know, that is just a matter of, wow, the dog is learning something and they're getting tired. You know, train your dog for 15 minutes, unless you have the border collie that I now own. Um, at 15 minutes of training and the dogs are tired. Well, right. three hours of training, the dog's not tired. But um, so every dog's different. But that is such mental stimulation. And again, you're solving problems. You're getting kids involved uh you're getting the dog thinking you're getting the child thinking oh my gosh that's pretty cool right there and you're building a partnership between the two it's called relationship and what a great way to do that um you know is that enrichment mental stimulation learning thing that all all go hand in hand in hand and then what you're going to find is then the dog's going to be ready for a nap i always find people always saying to me you know when i go to a house for or either after when I did classes or after a private lesson, they're like, the dog slept. I'm like, yeah, we used his brain for an hour. Of course he slept. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah. it's, a, it's a really terrific way. And that, and what I tell people is, is I don't know anybody, including moi, who can actually carve an hour out straight every day and train my dog. But I can right. find, you know, three to five minutes, three to five times a day. And even that little bit will be enough to um, give at least some enrichment. Um, and if you can do it 10 or 15 minutes, even better. Well, and, and if we're looking at like the dogs that have barrier frustration or separation anxiety, right? The the frozen Kong or the Kong with a little something, something in it, just outside the bathroom door mm-hmm. for the, you know, 40 seconds you need to be in there most of the time while you brush your teeth or, you know, empty your bladder, that's a win, right? Like, I think a lot of times people think training is some big convoluted thing. And and we talk about it all the time that management is actually training and enrichment is also training. Yeah. Um, 
it's a really, it's a blurry line, but I find people make it this big, complicated, like, oh, we don't know how to do enrichment. So Karen, do you have like a handout that you would be willing to share? I do. do. And and some of it is, you know, things that I've actually taken uh, videos of. I have some video links on there, some YouTube video links in my handout. Um, And some of it is things that I've videotaped at a shelter. Some of it is dogs of my own that are doing some enrichment uh, a lot of it is dogs doing enrichment maybe even at a workshop uh, that I've taught or somebody else has taught a couple of those are from someone else and I had permission to videotape it um, and a lot of those links are are, are going to be just homemade YouTube videos uh, but there's a document that I have that just talks about the whole concept of enrichment as well as gives you some ideas and and I like to have you know the kind of what I, I call the home alone toys, which are things that you can typically give the dog that's safe to leave them at home with. Normally that's going to be your stuffed Kongs. Um, I typically don't try to use any kind of bully sticks or anything like that and leave the dogs unless you know that they're not going to inhale the whole thing at once. Uh, Again, this is kind of that know your dog kind of mantra. Uh, And then I also have the, um, what I call the self-entertaining or food dispensing, the ones that are used primarily just for feeding your dog. Uh, And sometimes those can be one and the same, sometimes not. Um, And then I have the interactive toys. And this might be your tuggies, your balls, your flirt poles, things like that, that may not be food related at all. But my goodness, teaching your dog how to play. And and Julie, you mentioned that earlier about uh, playing with a ball with your dog. You know, tug is actually an amazing game to play with your dog. Sadly, I don't think a lot of pet people know how to play very well with their dogs. Um, And I normally start out with most pet people. Uh, actually, most sport people too, uh, with two to- two toys. You know, you had two balls with a with your dog uh, with your grandchild. I always have two toys, two tug toys, and I play with one. And it's like the rabbit. We're shaking the rabbit, right? The dog's got the rabbit. He's killing the rabbit. Let's just say that. And then the rabbit dies. So I try to keep this toy as still as possible. And the rabbit in the other hand comes to life. And I tease the dog with that. And pretty soon the dog goes, "Well, wow, that was a heck of a lot more fun than this dead rabbit." And so they go for that rabbit, that toy. And I play with that toy, and then it dies. And then I switch to the other one. So it's left hand to right hand to left hand to right hand. Pretty soon the dog starts to learn that when my toy slows down and stops moving, let go because the other one's going to come alive. And so I I can interject out at one point in time and bada bing, bada boom. I've actually addressed major resource guarding of toys by teaching appropriate play and most pet people don't know that especially when it comes to tuggy toys so you might you know you might have to have kids, Karen back on oh. just to explain good good tug toy and play okay. etiquette that would be great it's, i'd love to have you back well perfect. karen this has been terrific um if you could give us that handout we can put that on the web page as well as um, I would love to have a link to the seeking system by Jacques. I can't pronounce his last name. Um, yeah, him. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get a link for that and we'll have links to some of the other podcasts that we have mentioned, like the, um, the one on simple games for kids, uh, Zazie Todd and, and Elaine Anderson. So you can look up those things as well. Well, and isn't there a new book, Karen? 
there, there are actually out? a couple of new books out nowadays on canine enrichment. And everybody asks me to write one. I'm like, you know what? Everybody else can write it and I'll just hang tight. Uh, so there's a couple of new books and I want to give a shout out to um, Emily Strong and um, Allie Bender. They're also certified dog behavior consultants like myself through the IAABC. Shout out to those guys. Uh, it's called Canine Enrichment for the Real World. It's available through DogWise. And it's really pretty new. I think it just came out like in the last month. I'm very wow. excited. I haven't read it. But I have no doubt that those two have put together a heck of a little book. So that's something good to look for. All right. Well, we'll put a link for that as well on the uh, the webpage. So uh, thank you. That was terrific. I really think that you have given us all some great ideas and um, some fairly uh, inexpensive and easy things. I mean, that's it. The easier it is and the simpler it is, the more likely you are going to do it and that um, our listeners are going to do it as well. So thank you very much. And we'll see you next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.